All right, folks. Uh, welcome to uh, this latest episode of OK, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. Uh, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, we had uh, cut the Eurozone episode in half. Uh, so be uh, transitioning right into that. But before I do, uh, just got a few admin issues I want to throw out there. Uh, first of all, I'm pleased to see our listener base is... Uh, Growing it looks like we got a uh, quite a few consistent uh, listeners out there. So apparently you guys aren't uh, entirely tired of uh, of me uh, In fact uh, more than a few international listeners got uh, Give a shout out to our uh, listeners out in the UK in Germany who uh, Later on in this episode. I think Joseph's gonna beat up on you guys a little bit uh, or at least your uh, your country's uh, policy towards uh European monetary policy. Um, listeners out in uh, India and Pakistan and uh, Spain. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, also, your uh, your comments have been heard. Uh, no, I didn't have it on this one, but I will eventually be doing a little bit of audio production uh, for the show and getting some bumper music for the beginning and the end, so it's not quite as harsh of a transition uh, at the top and the bottom of the show. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'll be uh, I'll be working on that, uh, trying to make this uh, an ever more professional podcast. Uh, also, uh, I think I give a shout out for it at the end of this episode, but just in case, just want to let you know if you'd like to. Uh, get uh, updates and be able to uh, leave comments telling me how I'm wrong uh, feel free to join us uh, get a group on Facebook um, feel free to leave comments also uh, if you have any suggestions or requests for shows in the future I know I've got kind of a uh, what amounts to about a year and a half's worth of potential topics uh, but I'm happy to add uh, things in or move up topics if there's a uh, high demand for them. I uh, wouldn't be much of an economist if I wasn't paying attention to the demand curve. Uh, so that being said, we'll uh, get you right back into it. Uh, when last we left off, uh, Joseph was uh, giving us an analysis of Germany's role in the uh, in laying the groundwork for issues to come in the Eurozone. And so uh, let's get into part two of the Eurozone crisis. That Germany did two things because we're saying, well, they were uh, not respecting the, the criteria, but they had a very strict uh, policy in terms of uh, the labor market. And they, they started to uh, carry out uh, a set of uh, labor reforms that uh, made them very competitive within the EU. Mm -hmm. And that's, that. I think, like the idea of austerity and this contrast between Germany and Greece and other uh, peripheral countries, it's like, well, you know, they did their homework, whereas, you know, Greece, Spain, uh, Ireland, they are like lazy in this sense. Like they, 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 don't, they are not working as hard as uh, Germany had to work to be where it is now. And in fact, there was a cover from The Economist that called Germany in the 2000s the sick man of Europe. Yeah. In 10 years, like the, the, the story has completely changed. And now everybody points to Germany as the example. 
Well, and, and, and I, yeah, I think that also started to lay that kind of groundwork of a sense of, if, if such a thing exists, economic moral superiority of, yeah, Germany went through, you know, a, a rough patch and, and through some pretty uh, stern, imagine using the word stern to describe Germany, um, austerity measures, they, they eventually came out of it. And, and much to their benefit. Uh, and of course, so then, as, you know, um, Greece, uh, Ireland, uh, Portugal, Spain, you know, start to, to dip into a similar but not the same crises. Correct. Germany, uh, th- there's a sense, you know, within... Uh, the 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 German economy or and and the German people of well we did it why can't you uh, you know and, and 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 again you know you look at say Greece and I you know to me uh, I'd look at it and say well the situation's a little different like you know basically you were in a position where your house was was starting to fall apart and. You took, you know, a decade to put the work into fixing the foundational problems and, and, and keeping your house stable. Greece's house is on fire. <laughs> so sitting there and going, well, you should, you know, you're just going to have to ride this one out. is not necessarily the, and, and, I, and I, I mean, we're kind of, you know, getting into now the, the meat of the Eurozone crisis of basically... 2000 uh, you know uh, 2008 2009 roll around and and again these kind of foundational problems have built to a point where uh you know you've got what looks like a fairly stable you know growing system the euro is is gaining value uh against both the the dollar and the pound um you know the the euro is coming out you know really strong the European economy overall is is plugging along, and <clears throat> but like with most things, all it takes is uh, you know a bad couple quarters, and and now the situation is entirely different. And of course, you know the the U.S. fiscal crisis reached out and and shocked not you know not just the U.S. economy but the global economy. And reverberating off of those shocks, you you wound up with European countries experiencing similar issues. Except now, be, because they didn't have that that same system of of again compensating and coordinating monetary and fiscal policy, it becomes a whole different realm. And and you get into yeah the the slipping of of and and like I say we're kind of picking on Greece but that's because it's just the example that I think is is most in people's minds and most in the news and and honestly the one of the more interesting ones but yeah. again not just Greece but you know Ireland uh, what Italy no Portugal uh, well Italy was affected to, or it's still affected mm. to some extent and that's probably because of like the the flaws in the system yeah and I think I'll, I'll try to like uh, talk about it uh, later but let me let me tell you I think it's a, a really good point because 
Uh, in theory, one thing that was expected from like this economic integration was that at some point, uh, converge like countries uh, would converge in terms of econo like uh, economic prosperity. Well, when I guess there'd be a converging self-interest. In, in terms of like uh, GDP living standards, mm. like uh, if there is like this capacity to have a, a completely free market and some countries are, you know, good at a specific thing and they are really productive, if like this, this market gets like larger, then they have like the capacity to uh, be even more productive because mm. of the extension of the market. At, at the same time, maybe these countries or, or like uh, particular you know industries within these countries were budget constrained because they didn't have access to foreign capital mm. but now foreign capital meets the needs of these countries in such a way that they, they become more productive so one, one thing that like uh, economic growth or like the economic uh, growth theory predicts uh, at least the the neoclassical is that there is conditional convergences in terms of uh, economic growth. And that's what it seemed that was happening, because if two different economies need to converge, the economy that starts from a lower level needs to have higher uh, uh, economic growth uh, rates. Otherwise, they, they, they would not intersect. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what uh, we thought that was happening since there was this sort of a stagnation or uh, a slower economic growth in Germany and France, like the core of the, the system, whereas there was like this huge uh, and, and, and rapid uh, economic growth within like the, the periphery. Mm. And it was based, well, see, now with this system, we are creating like um, more similar, or we are integrating different uh, economies were like gaining economic efficiency mm. in, in such a way that we are attaining the results that we were predicting. But there are two things that were ignored or people didn't want to look at them because we're pointing to a different direction. And I would say one of them was the current account, which mm. measures your trade balance. And the, the trade balance was very... Uh, very uh, positive for Germany and bear in mind that before the euro and that's something that people like uh, struggle with to like realize that Germany before the, the euro during the 2000s or early 2000s rather uh, they had a trade deficit <laughs> like now in, in relative to like the GDP people look at China but relative to GDP Germany is even a higher exporter yeah, they export far more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which creates some some uh, trade uh, imbalances, well, at least in terms of like the the balance of payments, because this is only possible. You can run like this huge uh, trade surplus as long as someone has a huge deficit, and this is only possible uh, as long as these countries have access to uh, foreign direct in or like investment from other countries. Otherwise. If you don't have this extra money, this extra credit rather, that it's coming from foreign countries, you cannot afford these uh, imports either. Mm. So these two concepts, I think, were kind of omitted and uh, didn't show that actually like this, this, this sort of uh, uh, 
alignment in terms of uh, economic prosperity was actually happening, but it was based on uh, cheap credit mm -hmm. from the core to uh, the, the, the periphery. And it happened in different ways. And that's why in Greece it happened mainly through the public system. So that's why uh, the, 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 the way the, the Greek economy collapsed was uh, requiring a, a bailout, a public bailout. It was not even like the private sector, but it was both at, uh, yeah, at both, the same both, time. Yeah, both public and private. Which is the worst in the sense that based on like the, the, the Keynesian theory, uh, in bad times, we need the government to step in mm. to create uh, some sort of a stability. Well, and when you've got both public and private sector, uh, you know, going bankrupt at the same time, uh, yeah, you can't get that internal compensation of, uh, and you know, for for those unfamiliar, you know, Keynesian theory basically, and um, it's a term that I think it's bastardized when discussed in political terms but basically it's that you've really only got what four major variables in the macro economy you know inputs into the macro economy you've got consumption investment government spending and foreign exchange uh the, the, the defines the the aggregate demand yeah yeah and then and so if you've got this you know natural drop in consumption and investment in the private sector and you want to keep that uh you you know keep yourself stable the only real source to to then compensate for the drop in consumption and investment is the government yeah and the government steps in you know injects money into the economy until the private sector stabilizes goes back into growth and then once consumption and investment go up you start to pull back on that government spending so that you don't do what what, what would be called crowding out of the private sector correct it's this kind of balancing act well you know in greece's case when consumption investment foreign exchange and government spending are all in a downward spiral there's no outlet to stabilize and and I, you know, I think some of this, too, is is where, you know, uh, mass media uh, does does the situation a real disservice is in trying to kind of get that soundbite answer of, well, you know, across all the, the peripheral countries, each each one of them kind of had a unique problem. Uh, but, you know, to, you, you know, for the purposes of a three column editorial in the wall street journal nobody wants to spend time dissecting each one of those so it's just oh you know greece just didn't know how to uh you know engage in more conservative or well all these countries just didn't know how to engage in more conservative uh fiscal policy next and it's well that's there there's uniquenesses to yeah, that's a word. Uh, there's unique qualities uh, to to each one of them, uh, with again then requiring unique approaches, I suppose. But you know, while I guess while while we're on Greece, you know, be, uh, you know, we've got Greece in this you know massive downward spiral. They require a bailout. Yeah, they get one. 
uh, time passes, they require another bailout. And they get one. Time passes, they require another bailout. And they've gotten one, um, which, again, it was around the third bailout that you see kind of a, a, a shift in conventional wisdom. Um, conventional wisdom being famous for being wrong. Uh, but conventional wisdom for, uh, you know, kind of turning against Greece and saying, okay, this is the third bailout. And this, this is where you've got Germany really starting to uh, at least imply the threat of, like, no, no more bailouts. You, you have to engage in austerity. And I think, you know, one of, one of the issues... It, it, it's easy to look, especially, you know, from the, you know, by this point we're talking 2015, from the the stabilizing and, and, and you know, upward swinging U.S. economy to go, well, yeah, Greece, I mean, come on, you, you have to just cut back on the spending and you can't, you know, provide all these social programs and you, you can't create this kind of, um, you know, social paradise system um the the problem though is is again at this point in the downward spiral greece's private sector isn't picking up again and uh without another bailout you don't have any source for a capital injection so you know there there's a bit of an unfair stigma put on greece there of okay you know your your answer is everyone is shouting at you austerity 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 when at least again on the keynesian principle or the, the keynesian idea would be at this point you don't need austerity you need capital you need money going into the economy because it's the only way you're going to get your private sector the engine of your private sector to turn over and start you know producing again but Again, you've got this conflict, whereas, again, if Greece were just its own country, they could deflate their current or deflate, inflate their currency, uh, creating that capital. But they can't because the, they're on the euro. Yeah, they were like the, 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 the hands were like their hands were tight and like mm -hmm. they, they, they couldn't have access to like this magazine. If we want to use like the, the Keynesian uh theory here or framework uh we see that you know we have on one hand the is curve which determines you know investment uh and at the same time the, uh, unlike the the goods market but at the same time there has to be equilibrium in the money market yeah and that's when it comes you know uh into like uh, place the the monetary policy but if you don't have access to either of them the only the only result is to shrink your economy, and we have think uh, we have seen like something that is is quite a striking to be honest, which is a decrease of 25 percent of uh, 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 Greek GDP since the beginning of the crisis. Yeah, which it, I mean, it, it's not even like economic uh, stagnation, which is like a very popular topic uh, nowadays. But it's a, a decrease of a quarter of your economy, which it, I, it's a dramatic uh, change. I mean, Im imagine again the U.S. losing twenty five percent of its economy, you know, essentially in the, in the snap of a finger. Uh, 
that's uh, again there, we, we I've said it in previous episodes we'd devolve into Thunderdome at that point if we lost a quarter of our economy. But it, it's clear that if this uh, would happen here, the Federal Reserve would like intervene right away. Yeah. And that's what actually happened in the in 2008 and in 2009 because of the the financial crisis. And that that that, that so it seems like the 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 euro like the 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 the, the recovery in Germany like the core came at the expense of you know like southern european countries and especially greece because some people point to to greece as an experiment or as a way to signal mm. to like other countries that might you know get involved in uh, similar uh, activities that the ecb is not gonna you know bail you out yeah, and uh, I think uh, it's very important to analyze one argument that is very valid from the core, which is during that time there they had access to uh, cheap credit, so to speak, relative to the inflation. We see that the inflation was uh, way higher in uh, these uh, countries than in in Germany and in general in the core of the eurozone. And by core, I mean like the the, 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 the most powerful countries. So during that time, having access to this extra credit could have created some interesting investments mm. that entail also like a higher productivity. So that once you are faced uh, with a, a, a complicated situation, you are more productive than you used to be before the crisis. So in theory, you are better off to, you know, like deal with this crisis unless this money hasn't, you know, going to uh to the productive sectors if this this if this uh, investment hasn't gone to like productive sectors then the the, the, the there was a, a a waste of money so to speak yeah and the, the, the as a result uh the only the only uh solution is probably either to like have a bailout or to uh yeah or to default yeah. If there is no third party that uh, is interested in saving you. But if you default, what's the solution? Or like, what's the cost of defaulting? This this cost uh, is transferred not to Greece or Spain or Portugal or even Ireland, but to the banking system in Germany. So here we see that there is a conflict of interest. Well, and it's, you know, where... Uh and and it's largely what we saw happen, where Greece was in a position where it could call Germany's bluff and say, "Okay, if you're not going to bail us out, then I guess we'll just default, and you're going to wind up paying for that." And it's you know the again one of those kind of uh, underlying problems with the the structure of the eurozone in that if 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 any member of the the eurozone gets that badly into into crisis there there's i mean there becomes a real limit on what they can do to get themselves out of it but there's also a, a, a limit to the the you know non the the countries that aren't in crisis their ability to do anything because you know i i know 2015 really what were Germany and France's options. It was, 
well, we can keep bailing out Greece into infinity because the every time we bail them out, we send the signal that we'll continue to yeah. bail them out, at which point they don't need to engage in austerity measures. Unless it's conditional. Yeah. Which was the case, but it's still like, oh, you're in debt, I'm going to give you another credit card. Yeah, as long as, long as you know, they keep you know, running into this problem, Germany and, I mean, and the, Europe, the Eurozone in its entirety, but effectively Germany and France have to keep coming to their rescue. Or they can let Greece default, at which point, you know, the rest of the Eurozone has to compensate for that. Or they can encourage or force Greece to leave the Eurozone. Which I know in 2015, a lot of people were pushing, hey, this is going to be good for Greece. Greece leaves the Eurozone, uh, reinstates uh, the drachma. Yeah. Uh, and then, again, they can engage in nationalistic or na nation-centric monetary policy, which it would be to establish the drachma, inflate the drachma, create a bunch of... Uh, uh, create the capital that they need to re, you know get again get that engine of their economy to turn over the problem that i don't know got talked about enough is that's a horrible precedent to set is again let's say next it's luxembourg luxembourg gets into crisis they get bailed out they get bailed out again they get bailed out again oh things are looking too rough well we're out of here and yeah, basically, if if any eurozone member's economy gets into a tailspin, it's just time to leave, and now the euro becomes this, uh, I guess, much yeah, much softer currency. Yeah, uh, it's if, completely an unstable monetary union because yeah. it's no like it's not a union after all, yeah. since you can leave and. Uh, there is no like uh, integration, and and like I say, it really has. I mean, we earlier we criticized you know Germany for the their their stern Teutonic insistence on uh, you know austerity measures, but also again, what position are they in? Of you know you've you, you've got this this member of your union who just can't seem to 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 you know, write their economy and um, you can't do nothing, but you can't, you know, anything you have available to you as far as, you know, um, solutions are going to set bad precedents as well. And so it, it really put has, has put them in, in a, a rough position, which, which is, I, I think you you know you had said it before it was honestly systemic. It it was part of the equation when they put the eurozone together. Is that there wasn't what was going to be the control over a situation like this. And I mean honestly, I imagine it's they didn't in, insert controls for this because no one ever considered that it would it would really happen. Um, so, you know, you, 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 the, the, the situation, you know, actually still continues because Greece is still... They, 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 
yeah, they are still struggling. But I think like this is a, an excellent analysis because this is actually what happened and that's what triggered like the Euro crisis, which I think it refers to the period before uh, October 2012. Mm. And well, let me like uh, ask you a question. Do you think like the first bailout was a bailout, like they were bailing out uh, the Greece economy or the lenders, in this case, German and mm. French banks. No, that's, it's uh, both at the same time. Yeah, no, it's both at the same time. But like what happens is that if you don't bail them out and they default, then who absorbs these, uh, these, like, these uh, loss in, in terms of wealth is the private sector. Mm. Whereas once you bail them out, this, like, uh, this is transfer to the public sector because it's no longer the Deutsche Bank that you know uh, has some uh, 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 Greek obligations, but it's the, the 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 German economy, and by German I mean like the German government. Yeah. So then it becomes a political uh, debate mm. because well, like the, the decision makers are no longer uh, like a manager or uh, like in terms of uh, you know investment at the Deutsche Bank. But uh, it, it's gonna be either you know like the the, the 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 president of you know Germany or someone who can decide whether they're gonna step in or not. Yeah. And I think it's a systemic problem for two reasons. Some people say that the, the first bailout happened. I mean, it's it's very difficult to know whether it was a problem of liquidity or solvency, and and that's that's the the key here of the whole. Uh, Euro crisis. If there is a problem of liquidity, if I'm uh, extending uh, like a, a line of like a, a, an extra loan that comes from outside, from like the the bailout, I know that sooner or later I, I'm gonna be able to to pay you back. But if the problem uh, has to do with solvency, this is not gonna happen. So the the problem becomes even like worse. Once I get a second bailout, at what point do we need, as you were like, this is the, 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 at what point can we tell that the problem has nothing to do with liquidity, but rather solvency? Or can like a problem of liquidity become a problem of solvency? And that, that's, mm. that's like the, the, the economic concept that has been, like that's the economic uh, reasoning that has been used for, uh, for, I mean, for not only Greece, but for Portugal, Spain, and Ireland. And essentially, it is described as a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. Mm. If I have access to this extra liquidity, then I'm not gonna bail out. If I don't bail out, then I'm uh, like my, I'm still like, uh, my trustworthiness is still very high and therefore like the, the, the financial cost of issuing some extra debt that is, is important in order to create this fiscal stimuli uh, is, is lower. But if I don't have access to it, most of my, uh, my, my debt or like my, my, my financial spending is going to go into uh, financial services into, and by that I mean into like the interest rate. Yeah. So I'm not injecting any sort of a stimuli 
into the economy. No, you're, well, yeah, you're not you're not putting that into into labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, yeah, and which, yeah, that is. So the the. The, 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 the thing is, and we need to take this into account too, that the, all the countries adopted the, the euro in 1999, except for one. And can, can you imagine which one couldn't like, meet the, the criteria? Greece didn't meet the, the criteria at that time. The, so the, 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 those three criteria yeah, you 60, mentioned earlier. Yeah, 60% of the of the ratio between uh, debt and, and GDP and also uh, uh, below a 3% deficit and uh, an inflation that cannot be uh, more than 1.5% uh, higher than the lowest countries. Well, and, and one of those things that, that Greece gets uh, retrospectively criticized for is they, they couldn't meet those criteria, so they spent the next... Uh, several years I mean it's described as shell gaming their economy to just to fit those specific criteria at least on paper appear to be um, you know meet the standard to be introduced into the eurozone but uh, this happened and now we know that because it came out Mm. Because uh, the the information like they, they manipulate the data, and that's that's a really bad thing to do, because like once your you know like your national statistical institute is not reliable, uh, uh, it creates panic into the financial markets because mm-hmm. you don't know what to use as benchmark. Yeah, and not only that, but if you know they are capable of. And again, I'm, I, I, I don't want to blame the, the whole, you know, like uh, Greek population for, for that. I think it was a move. And some people say that there were interests from like the court too. Like the, 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 the more countries um, the, the euro has, the, the, the more incentive to lend to them. And therefore, you know, uh, go back to like uh, an economic prosperity before like this uh, particular crisis that Germany had in the early 2000s. So like maybe there was an incentive and people even say that the, the, no wonder why, you know, the Olympic Games were increased in 2004. Mm-hmm. Because some of like this fiscal uh, uh, or like this extra spending that was not supposed to happen can be hidden through the Olympic Games. Yeah. And it, it lets them kind of, you know, cover up the deficiencies by having this, this yeah. sudden influx. You don't know whether it's because they are more productive now that they've joined the, the EU, uh, the, the, the Eurozone, sorry, or because the Olympic Games. But once, you know, they are gone, so is, you know, like productivity. So that, that was an important factor. And the other one that I want to point out is that there were like huge housing bubbles, especially in Spain and Ireland. What's the problem? If you invest in other sectors, okay, during like this extra or like this uh, cheap credit, then you are creating a, 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 a more competitive industry. Mm. But what's the, like the characteristic of the housing market that make it like makes it very appealing for say like Germans 
in terms of like lending money to the to like these countries well the characteristic is that it's a non-tradable good yeah because i know if i'm say like i'm investing in like the high-tech sector and there is like this shock uh, still my products can go to other countries so through like via exporting I, I i can have like this extra uh stimulus which happened in germany after the the, the 2000s uh we see that uh, as i was pointing out before there was like this huge surplus mm. and this is possible because you are creating an exporting industry so if you are at the same time are uh lending all this money to other countries, you are creating some competitors. Of course, we're trying to, well, we are analyzing this uh, through like a zero sum game yeah. framework. And it might not be like the, 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 the proper way to approach to this, but uh, I think that's very important to, to take into account. If you have a huge housing bubble, all these houses that are gonna be empty, you cannot sell them yeah. to, another country whereas if your phones are you cannot sell as much as many phones as you used to in in the u.s maybe you can ship them you know abroad well yeah basically you know for for housing you know you build houses in spain demand for those houses has to be in spain correct like like i say yeah or uh, like you were just saying if you build phones or cars or widgets you know whatever Uh, and there's no demand locally, you can always export. There, that, that option exists. Because your price decreases due to like the local demand, mm. and then it becomes more competitive, internationally speaking, which is the case uh, for Germany. Yeah. But it wasn't the case for these two countries. And I think, like some people say, so why, for instance, one thing that people ignore is the fact that there were more uh, houses built in Spain than in Germany, France, uh, Italy, and the UK combined. <laughs> it was only in 2004, but people think, well, this is insane. Because mm -hmm. like you basically you are constrained by the population and yeah. also you know that it's not gonna be very productive. And I think it has to do with two reasons. The first one being that for the, like for construction, uh, normally a, a lot of people who are, uh, like workers that are like low skilled mm. can be placed in this sector so, i mean it's it, I'm not unskilled but uh you know it's also not built build, building house requires skill but it's also not you know uh building a a, a very detailed circuit board yeah but and and so but I, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say that, uh, I mean, I, I don't mean that, you know, uh, they are not a skill at all, yeah. but I mean, like, it's fair to, it's fair to say that uh, you can transfer some people who used to be in the assembly line yep. to uh, the construction uh, sector. Mm. And this is precisely what happened during the 2000s in Spain. Why? Well, you have that at the same time, there is an enlargement of the European Union and all these Eastern European countries who used to be under the influence of the Soviet Union all of a sudden joined the EU. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the relationship between the core and Southern Europe was that cheap goods could be produced in uh, Southern Europe, not because it, they were more productive, but because 
labor was cheaper. Yeah. But now you have countries such as Poland who happen to have even cheaper labor than your own uh, labor force. Therefore, and, and they happen to be like very close to Germany. And because of that, a lot of companies and, and factories uh, need to shut down. And if you cannot put these people into assembly lines again, you might be able to put them into the construction sector as long as it's like a boom, uh, booming sector. Way, yeah. And it happened because there was demand, but also because mortgages were relatively free since this, there was like this cheap credit coming from the from the like the, the core of, of, of the eurozone and the second uh, aspect to understand and I don't want to no, you know no. uh, elaborate a lot on like real estate or <laughs> housing but the, the second aspect is that housing and real estate is the main source of equity for households mm. and if you happen to be in a country and that's what we said that uh, in, in originally that before uh, the the euro, uh, the central bank used to devaluate your currency a lot. Holding uh, cash or having uh, you know like deposits, uh, like wasn't like the best way to protect yourself from like these devaluations. But instead, the best way was to own a house. Yeah, because you know like the the, the price of the house cannot uh, like the the value rather cannot go down when there is like this devaluation because you are owning a real asset rather than a nominal asset mm. which would be money itself and and that that was the reason why there was like this huge uh boom in in ireland and in spain because they said you know that real estate like the prices in the real estate cannot go down but actually at some point they can go down too and especially if you take into account that you are no longer under a monetary system that uh, tends to devaluate your currency but rather a monetary system that is very strict when it comes to inflation because that actually was the only goal of the European bank to have a, a, an inflation target of 2% yeah. and, and actually the European Central Bank was the first one to set like this 2%. And then some other countries or use the same uh, benchmark, which is kind of uh, arbitrary target. Because normally, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the, the Federal Reserve has no explicit target. No, it, it, the congressional mandate for the Federal Reserve is just to keep um, inf inflation low. Which is ambiguous. Which again, low is yeah. It, it's an uh, an indefined or a non-defined term. So low relative to what? And so you know, yeah, the Fed can <clears throat> let that inflation rate, if they ever needed to, rise above two, three, you know, five percent, if the situation called for it, and and that. Uh, an inflation it, it's it's hard to conceive of but if an inflation rate that high was necessary or, or a necessary byproduct of actions needed to stabilize the u.s economy the fed can do that because of the double mandate mm. but there is no such thing in the ecb it's the rigid 
and below 2%. 2%. And this is very ironic because during the crisis, what like uh, what are you ex- what what would you expect from like uh, the central bank if like the economy is hit by by a, a crisis is to have a, a monetary expansion. Mm-hmm. So actually, the ECB raised the interest rate twice, which is even like uh, counterproductive. Oh yeah. But like if your if your single goal is to, you know like if you if like you're maximizing uh, function only depends on like this variable, which is uh, 2%, maybe you need to do that at the expense of uh, economic growth. But I think it, it, it's very ironic and also it doesn't make sense to me because inflation by itself doesn't mean anything. But the, the, the inflation is worrisome because of the, the problems that are associated with inflation and especially mm. hyperinflation. Well, and and you know, I'm I'm sure people hear that, and, and you know, somebody, some listener out there's mind just exploded because you said inflation's not not uh, you know concerning by itself. Which you know the the I guess the the situation being like uh, again there there would be a theoretical situation where. Uh, 10% inflation rate sustained over time is not concerning so long as wages were rising at 15% over that same period of time. If, you, if you've got compensating factors, like you said, inflation by itself is not necessarily a problem. It's just that typically things like uh, you know wages and prices uh, respond to inflation not the other way around. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, I mean, inflation has a, a huge problem, which is a, an arbitrary transfer of wealth. Yeah. Because if you have a mortgage, of course, maybe like you, you are losing purchasing power, even that you know your nominal wage uh, is still the same, but your real wage goes down. Mm. But at the same time, uh, maybe uh, the, the 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 nominal interest rate. Is the same, but the real interest rate goes down too because of the the, the inflation effect. So of course, it, it it it. I'm not saying that in terms of like distribution of wealth is problematic, but I'm referring to the fact that uh, we need to analyze other things. And essentially, I think uh, some people use inflation because of the Philip curve mm. and this concept of trade-off between inflation and unemployment. Yeah. Which might happen in the short run, but once you know people catch up with inflation, uh, it's gonna create an inflationary cycle. Mm. So that's why I'm saying I, I don't want to to like uh, advocate for higher inflation, but it might. I'm saying that sometimes it might be necessary. Well, I think it's a, again one one of those systemic issues you, you see in the within the eurozone is you know that that two percent inflation cap uh that's in the mandate for the ecb i i really i think is born un, quite understandably out of a europe that had experienced wave after wave of of runaway inflation i mean you know <clears throat> going back to the the 1930s during the Great Depression and even before then, for for various reasons, you've got 
sort of ingrained into the culture of Europe, especially the culture of Germany, this fear of inflation. That inf- inflation is the variable you're you're really concerned about. Right. And everything else is kind of secondary to that. Uh, which, again, like as you said, inflation by itself is not necessarily the death nail of an economy. You know, experiencing inflation or even necessarily experiencing high inflation, so long as, as long as there are compensating factors, it's not, you know, going to lead to, you know, that, that kind of Great Depression era you know, downward cycle, it, it can, and it's always something to be concerned about. But yeah, I think the, you, you know, Europe has been ingrained with a rigidity when it comes to inflation, which I, as I think we're seeing is, it can be really counterproductive. It, it eliminates the, the flexibility of allowing inflation to occur in order to reap some of the benefits that that and again i'm sure there are people out there thinking like how can there be benefits to inflation that, that there can be depending on what you're trying to do and depending on uh, how your economy compensates for that inflation so i guess uh, you know like i say it's i, I honestly that's the uh, most most detailed and actually clearest, you know, assessment of a lot of those kind of underlying factors that that really led into the crisis. So now now that we're, you know, the crisis has 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 occurred is still occurring. Looking ahead, I guess, do you think those systemic problems can be? Solved because I, you know, reading a lot of the the editorials, um, the you know the, the 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 kind of camps that form are, okay, solution to this problem is, uh, it you know, uh, Greece needs to leave the eurozone, problem solved. Except from what we just talked about, no, it's not because the the system's not fixed. Yeah, then then we have like a contagion effect. Yeah. That's that's mainly. Uh, salute or camp number two is that the the euro should just be dissolved entirely, and Europe should go back to twenty eight completely separate currencies and economies. Yeah. Which, as simple as it is to type that sentence into uh, an editorial for Forbes magazine, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how you do that. Like that, that would be to, to, to have 28 countries uh, coalesce into a, a unified currency and then to have them then separate seems incredibly complicated. Um, but I, I guess so, yeah, well, let's take this in, in levels. Uh, one, I, I, yeah, first, can the systemic problems be solved or is the eurozone kind of on a slow path toward dissolving uh so i would say first of all that to me like and i, I think i haven't mentioned that to me like the, the the main problem or at least what like uh, the literature have um pointing uh have pointed to is uh 
that the euro crisis is the this effect of uh, going from one country to another one, even though maybe your economic fundamentals are not as bad as you know, mm. like the the ones from the other uh, economy, but since it's a systematic uh, problem, then you know, or like at least investors know who's next, and that was what was uh, creating like these huge spreads in terms of uh, that between what's like the German bond and uh, the peripheral countries in such a way that if the 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 the, the, um, the government cannot borrow then there's no fiscal uh stimulus and at the same time uh, a lot of uh the bonds were owned by banks so it's it's a very uh vicious circle mm. in the sense that you have a banking crisis which happened And that's why, for instance, Spain was not like technically bailout by the Troika because all these bailouts, by the way, happen through three institutions. Because the, the European Union has 28 countries. And I, like the point, I, I don't know right now whether we are still including the UK or not. <laughs> so I don't know if, if, if 28 includes the, the UK. But the Eurozone uh, only includes 19 countries. Well, what? Uh, the UK is still in their, like, what is it, a two year transitionary? Yeah. So we'll, we'll say 28. So, so and, but there are only uh, 19 countries thus far who have the Euro's currency. Mm. But the bailout was coming first from the European Commission, who represents the 28 countries, and then from the European Central Bank, which represents only. Uh, 19 countries okay. but in addition to that there was a third party which was the IMF why well because Europeans couldn't agree on the conditions so they went to the IMF and that goes back to like uh, Bretton Woods and uh, traditionally the director of the the IMF the the, the, the main uh, head of the IMF has been a European mm. so it seemed that the IMF uh, could be, you know, uh, interested in, in, in helping out, which is kind of uh, unusual. Because imagine the US, and that's why I'm saying it's unusual, mm. asking uh, for help to, you know, like the IMF, if there is a, a crisis in the state of Illinois. Uh, we have, like before this Euro crisis, we've, uh, We had witnessed uh, countries asking uh, for help uh, to the IMF, but normally there were other kind uh, of economies. And for instance, you saw like Mexico, Russia, or during like the the Asian crisis. Mm. But all of a sudden, you have a region, like a global region, which is supposed to be uh, very wealthy in terms of GDP is roughly. 25% of uh, the GDP of like the like the world GDP even though only 9% of you know like the global population lives there which tells you about like uh, global inequality <laughs> I mean like this gets even uh, larger when it comes to to the US mm. but anyways like this uh, huge uh, and prosperous economy uh, relative uh, compared to like the rest of the world asking uh, for help uh, it, 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 it shows very well how 
internal division was uh, hurting the, the whole economy. And by, by doing that, it, it shows you also why there was so much uncertainty among investors. Yeah. And investors, I mean the markets, the, yeah. the, the famous markets. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met them, but... I, I hear they're great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that, that's an interesting point. Mm. Well, no, it's, I mean, certainly unprecedented. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, it'd be like a, a, a single state out of the U.S. And requiring an IMF bailout. or, or uh, Part of the bailout. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think we'd, we've ever seen that before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, looking at solution the, yeah the euro the the, the eurozone um uh, yeah uh, i mean your opinion is this something that can be fixed and repaired those systemic problems kind of ironed over or compensated for or is this you know just you know a uh, kind of an irrevocable issue so I think uh, it's very important to understand that there was a lack of framework or uh, like explicit conditions uh, for the like define in the very foundation of the, the Eurozone. And when like all these uh, problems came out, since there was no specific, you know, uh, like framework and at the same time, I think it's 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 natural. It's almost inherited in the European project uh, that there's gonna be like a constant division. As a matter of fact, uh, probably people don't know that. But if you have like a, a euro bill note, mm. you won't see like the face of any like political, you know, figure, and not even any like monument or landmark from any. Euro uh, zone uh, country because they couldn't agree. Like they said, <laughs> oh, if like, you know, I'm using like a, a, a German figure for like the 100. Uh, what, what, yeah, why is the Brandenburg Gate on the 100 euro bill and the Eiffel Tower is only on the 50? Correct. So, and it's, it's, it's kind of ironic because now the in the Netherlands, they are building a bridge that resembles like the bridge, which is a, a fake monument uh of the 50 euro uh note so mm. that's why i'm saying it, it gets to like that extreme so you need to be very specific about the conditions and at the same time there has to be this sense of uh thinking beyond your national border mm. and that was the point of the european project well and that, that gets us into uh, what's been a theme for a couple episodes of this podcast now of what what seems to be required is a uh, social change rather than necessarily a policy change, and social changes are always fun because they're incredibly hard to, you know, get that you know at least in a short period of time, like over a long enough time. I think, uh, you know, <clears throat> with the as long as the union stays and the the euro stays generation you know several generations of europeans down the line will probably tend to think of themselves more as uh maybe not europeans first but europeans more predominantly than say just specifically you know germans yeah. or, or french or, or spanish or you know whatever 
Yeah, feeling, I mean, like the feeling of attachment towards a particular state within the U.S. is not at the expense of a, like national pride, mm. quite the opposite. Yeah. It's, 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 I think it's part of the, like a federal system to some extent to like, you know, have like both uh, like feelings or, um, you know, you're, you know, uh, strongly connected to your national identity as well as you know, your state identity, as well as your municipal identity, you know, we're both, you know, living in Chicago right now, and Chicagoans are notorious for always thinking quite a bit of uh, being Chicagoans. Uh, And again, those are never, at least seemingly never in conflict with each other. It's not, you know, it's not a zero-sum game. You can be, you know, super, uh, you know, uh, super connected to your Americanness, uh, while at the same time being super connected to you know being from Oklahoma, uh, and the, it's not to to be proud of being an Oklahoman. Oh, yeah, sure, an, whatever it is, doesn't take away you know uh, from you know feeling a connection to that national identity and. Uh, you know, Europeans may just need to find that that place where you you can be. Hey, you know, we're German, and great things about Germany, but we're European as well. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point, and this goes to the the solution. Mm. Because if you had to name a country within the European Union that you know didn't show this this kind of like uh, mentality that you are referring to. Uh, like I think, which, which one would you? Pick? I mean, I mean, you know, just like, hitting the stereotype. I'd go with France. But I'm not not <laughs> maybe to some extent France. Yeah. But I would say like not even from like the continent. Oh well, <laughs> the UK. The UK. Yeah. Like there was like always this sense of losing sovereignty, of you know losing like the traditions if they were the, the labeled as so common European. Somehow being European would. Again, it becomes this idea of it being a zero-sum game, where if if the UK were to become more European, uh, then they would somehow become less British. Correct. And And if you've ever met a British person, there's no way to make them less British. Man, they're British. And that's why there were like these threads. Well, if like this keeps going, now we need to adopt like the metric system. Or like, mm. what's the next step? Yeah, and I think that that's why I'm saying that this may be part of the solution, because the solution might come along with you know Brexit in the sense that now there there is like a a greater level of uh, willingness to reach political like farther political integration, mm. because the, the the most reluctant country or member of the the, the EU to, you know, like uh, avoid or uh, try to delay this economic or European integration, so to speak, was the UK. Mm. Once the European Union has gotten rid of, well, the the UK decided to, (laughs) I think it's the other way around, but the the thing is, once like they are no longer in the room to like negotiate all these trade agreements, all these economic agreements, even all these political agreements, you can create a political body that doesn't depend on a particular country, mm. but it's it's someone who's running for the European office. Mm. So when this particular person is trying to maximize uh, 
his or you know her uh, like political um, I, I don't know exactly how to say like political benefits mm. you know that part of like the benefits like what what's gonna enter into like the function as, as benefit uh, might come from another country and it's no longer the case that you are only defending your you know national interest whereas sorry uh, okay. another thing that might affect your cost is running or like using a, a rhetoric that is against a particular country mm. this is not beneficial anim anymore because like this particular you know country can punish you when it comes to electing like a common figure yeah so it's it's, it's very difficult to find i mean it's, it's still possible in the US, but to, to find like someone who's running for like the, the main office, like the, the White House, saying things that are like against a particular vision. Normally mm. you need, you tend to be like as friendly as possible with all of them. Well, and, yeah, I, I, you know, not since, uh, <laughs> you know, pre-Civil War, uh, have we seen a president, you know, running for the office under a policy of, hey, let's marginalize Rhode Island. Like, that's that's just not how it works. And, and yeah, no, and I think, you know, the, the idea of Europe kind of getting to that, that, and again, you know, very much looks like Europe without the presence of the UK getting to that point of saying, you know, we need to think of ourselves, you know, we, we don't need to dissolve our individual identities or our national sovereignty, but we do need to think of ourselves in this larger economic picture. And, I, I, yeah, no, actually, you know, yeah, you make the, the good point of, you know, the, the, the member that was dragging its feet the most on that was the UK. And by kind of self-selecting themselves out there might be some interesting possibilities for um, further coalescing. And, yeah, and at the same time, it's because of this reason and the fact that now you have an additional competitor, mm. which, yeah. is, which is the UK itself. Mm. So Germany needs to realize, or like say the core of uh, the Eurozone needs to realize that we better hurry up and fix this problem because otherwise, we know that the UK is going to try to offer better deals since now they are in a weaker position in terms of the benefits that are associated with uh, belonging to the common market. Well, and it, you know, in that position, but also now autonomous in that they, they don't have to consider whatever will... Um, Although they w they were already very well, you know, <laughs> autonomous, but like maybe now there's more independence too. Yeah. So. Well, but I, yeah, I think prior to, to Brexit, there there was always that, you know, having to kind of not necessarily walk on eggshells, but, you know, tread, tread a little more carefully because you're part of this union. You have to consider what Italy thinks of this because it will come up at some point. Now, I think not only because uh, not only directly as a result of of. Brexit, but also, you know, as part of the spirit of Brexit, I think you're going to see a much more freewheeling, you know, Britain first UK yeah. as far as their policy goes. And they, honestly, they have to at that point because they went from being a part of a much larger system that they, you know, 
had to bear the burden of, but also reap the benefits of, to now being an, an island, literally an island again. Yeah. Um, and so, no, it'll be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that kind of, um, you know, plays out into the future. Uh, as far as Greece specifically, assuming, and again, we're, we're picking on Greece, but it is, it's a very interesting example um you know it, assuming into the future like, ideally you know greece stabilizes both their private and public sector start go going on to an upswing and and you know that they can put this crisis behind them if they can't and and you, you continue to kind of hit these standoff points do you think because we talked about how bad the option would be to let Greece opt out, but flipping that, would the negative side effects be mitigated if instead of, again, letting Greece separate from the European Union, or from the Eurozone, sorry, yeah. uh, instead the Eurozone ejected Greece? That's a good question because the system is so poorly defined that there is no clause that can allow you to like oh. eject a country from like this uh, union. Although, uh, but yeah. there are like some mechanisms. Well, it, I mean, there's it, also there would also be no clause saying you can't do that. Well, but uh, yeah, I think like once you are a member mm. of the of the union, technically speaking. No one can force you to leave the Europe, no. like the, 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 the Eurozone, because you are a sovereign member. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, right now, like right now, your sovereign currency is the Euro. So no one can say that this is no longer your sovereign currency. But there are some mechanisms to force someone to leave, which are. Uh, let me which are. To some extent, uh all these things that make like the the, the fact of like the, the the fact of belonging to the eu more costly for you mm. and that that's uh that's been uh happening in in i would say like maybe like the past uh, three years or something like that and like the the main thing is one of the the the, the, the best solutions to mitigate the the the, the euro crisis was a more proactive role from the central bank. And this, this came uh, to some extent because a change in the, in the direction of the ECB and in the leadership. Right now, the, the, the main figure of the ECB is Mario Draghi. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's quite uh, interesting because uh, he and Bernanke, both of them studied uh, at MIT. <laughs> And both of them had like a similar vision. Bernanke, I think like, like it's very valuable the, the fact that he's one of the, ma the main experts when it comes to analyzing the, the Great Depression. So in, in this sense, both of, of them uh, realized how high the stakes were yeah. and how important it was to have a proactive uh, role uh, in, in, the in the sense of uh, monetary policy. So. I think that that's very important and you see how like a lot of the problems associated with uh, the euro crisis 
uh, almost disappear after a speech that took place in London. And he said, I'm going to do like the ECB is going to do whatever it takes to save the euro mm. only because of like this explicit commitment, like this sense. And, and that goes back to what we were referring to, like this sense of like common notion, like it's not like an Italian, you know, referring to the euro, but it's like a European, like the, 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 the main policy maker of like the European, uh, the Eurozone defending the Europe, which creates some sort of uh, confidence. And like this confidence is super important to uh, attain a stability because the confidence, you know, transfers from like the markets to the common people. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's, I think, one of the, the, the main things. And I'm, I'm, I'm explaining that because one of the mechanisms that he implemented uh, before that, I said that there was an increase in the interest rate, like not only once, but it happened, uh, it happened twice. The, the, the guy who was in power at that time, uh, Jean-Claude Trichet, he, was, uh, he had like a completely different vision. It was more aligned with this vision of like the single goal here is uh, price stability. And not only that, but 2%. Mm. And like it, 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 it turned out that this policy was completely counterproductive because uh, the Eurozone had to deal uh, with um, deflation. So I'm referring to this, uh, this concept because Mario Draghi started implementing QE. Okay. And QE is very important because it's an unusual uh, monetary uh, policy. And in order to like implement this policy, the central bank accepted collateral for the, and this collateral was sovereign uh, debt from all the members in theory. But in practice, once a country defaults, they no longer have access to uh, this uh, like uh, a special line of credit. Yeah. Because of that, Greece is not enjoying the benefits of uh, uh, being part of the monetary union, yet they are facing the costs. So it's an implicit way to force one member to leave the European Union. And, and, and to be honest, th this was even uh, worse for Greece because it was not only QE, they were excluded from QE, but also from other uh, mechanisms to uh, have liquidity which was constraining them at, at, uh, a lot. And, and that's like uh, by constraining them, uh, you can force a country to see that, you know, like the, the, the advantages of leaving the uh, Eurozone are outweighing the, well, the advantages of like uh, remaining there. And, and so, if, I mean, if, if the, you know, <clears throat> that dynamic continues, uh, you know, if they continue down that road, and, and Greece winds up electing to leave, but under circumstances that were clearly uh, pushed on them by, you know, the, the, the ECB and the, the, the Eurozone uh, as, a, as a whole, do you think that might then mitigate the, the negative effects of, you know, kind of sending out that signal that, well, if things get too dire you know, you can just kind of drop out. Well, it, it, you know, instead of that uh, situation, you've got one where it's like, no, if, if you don't fix your internal problems, we're going to make it 
uh, you know, again, it's this, this more active version of it where, you know, we can't kick you out, but we're going to make it so you will leave. And uh, so that, yeah, you don't get that kind of mentality of, well, you know, so, you know, the next country and, you know, I don't know, let's pick on Portugal. Uh, Portugal, just because uh, nobody ever picks on Portugal. Uh, not not since the 1400s. Uh, you know, where they, they've got this mentality of, well, we're just going to keep digging the hole deeper. We'll keep taking bailouts, but if it ever gets too rough, we'll just, you know, pull out of this situation and, and go back to our own currency. Where, you know, it becomes more of a, if, if it's, the Eurozone actively, you know, while not actually ejecting, but actively pushing uh, bad bad actors out, then it's a little less appealing to try to go down that road. And yeah, I think it, it makes sense. Yeah. And we need to take into account that you're hurting yourself too, at least in the short run. Mm. Because you, you, you did bail them out. Yeah. So you know, like, if they are leaving... For sure, they are going to default on their debt. Well, I mean, not for sure. Maybe there is some, you know, uh, agreement and there is like some period of transition to like a smooth, you know, things out. But if it's not the case and like they, they, they see it, that it's 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 a, a deliberate policy to try to make you leave the Eurozone, it, it, it's probably like very likely that they are going to default on like their debt and this includes like the package that they receive from the core so you are hurting your taxpayers the thing is whether this will you know uh, pay off in the long run well it's it's a necessary you know uh bad unpleasant thing to apply right now but it, uh, at the end of the day, it's necessary. Well, so, I mean, do you do you take the loss of the default now and all the negative uh, impacts that come with that, or and and again, I mean, I'm using kind of unfair language, uh, but or do you just keep throwing good money after bad? And you know, I yeah, if you if you don't at a certain point just cut 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 ties and say no no more no more no more you know it's you're just gonna how much longer are you gonna keep bailing out correct uh, these countries so yeah no uh, you know forcing greece out with the potential that they default on their uh, their debts is gonna hurt you know the eurozone countries but it'll be that kind of short-term pain versus you know a, a possible you know a greek money pit on in into an indefinite future as long as you are really good at isolating greece i'm mm. saying this is not a problem of the system but it's a problem of a particular country mm. so again it's not a problem of liquidity but a problem yeah, of solvency yeah. because otherwise it's what like who's next yeah and who's next it's going to create uncertainty it's going to increase like these uh, imbalances within the Eurozone. And at the end of the day, that's not desirable either. Mm. So you are getting both like uh, negative effects. One coming from Greece because they are living. And the, the, the second one coming from like 
this negative expectation. So I think that that's important if you can isolate that. Another, and in this sense, uh, the IMF didn't participate in the third bailout, yeah. to be fair, because they, they, they did assess that that wasn't a temporary uh, problem. It was something that it would remain unless the system changed. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that, that's really bad. It's a really bad uh, sign because you are pointing to the euro rather than to Greece. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, there'll be, again, as this, because again, we're talking about events still, still in the process of playing out. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where it goes. I guess I've got one one last thing. Uh, you know, it, it, this question's probably uh, it would be considered incredibly Americentric, but I'm an American, and Americentricism is one of our defining qualities. So <clears throat> you've got this instability throughout the the, the eurozone. This instability. Uh, with the euro created by the uncertainty of you know what's what are they going to do about Greece? What are they going to do about uh, you know Ireland? You know how how is this going to result? What what we've seen is uh, a euro uh, losing value, uh, at least losing value against the dollar. Um, and 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 granted, there's far more factors involved in the rising dollar and the, the, the shaky euro. Is that good for the United States or is, is a stable euro better? I guess. And, and you know, that's a, that's a very broad question. So yeah, it, it's probably yes and no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all questions, like all answers in economics. And I think, what, yeah, um, one thing that is very important to, to take into account is the, the exchange rate. Mm. And, and, and of course, like um, a lower or like a, a more um, depreciated uh, euro uh, uh, means uh, uh, like more competitive, you know, products coming from, from Europe. So it might hurt, you know, the U.S. if the, the intention is... To like uh, run a, a positive, you know, uh, trade balance. Mm. But uh, at at the same time, uh, there are some, uh, I guess, positive uh, aspects. I I don't think in general I'm not uh, very. Uh, I, I'm reluctant to use like a zero sum strategy yeah. in, in economics because it's not like a, a pie like that yeah. is constant. But there are like win-win situations. And I, I think like if the the euro becomes uh, a less reliable currency, then like the U.S. doesn't face a threat in terms of being like the the main hard currency. Yeah. Whereas if we have like a strong uh, euro, then some people might switch from the U.S. dollar to you know the the the, the euro if like the U.S. happens to face like a, a bad uh, economic situation. Yeah. Similar to what happened with the pound, the British pound and the US dollar. The, the fact that now you're you are leading, you know, like the world currencies, it doesn't mean that it's gonna last forever. Wow. And especially if you have some competitors. And I would say like right now, China doesn't seem a competitor since they don't have independence in terms of like the monetary policy, but it seems like it follows the US very well. And Euro is struggling. 
So in this sense, it may be positive, but at the same time, and we have like the case of uh, of Greece, before the, the, the third bailout, uh, a party that was uh, a lefty party came to power and the, 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 the Minister of Finance was uh, Yanis Varoufakis. He's a quite uh, famous economist because uh, he was a professor here at, uh, in Texas mm -hmm. and he's a, a game theorist. So he tried to use all this game theory, like people kind of like uh, mock because like he, 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 it seems like the result was not probably like... Well, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's, you know, game theory is a powerful tool, but at the, the end of the day, it's a theory. Uh, or and you know it, it, it's a model for behavior, it's a, it's not, a, not necessarily a uh, perfect predictor of behavior. Yeah, uh, and so like what they tried to use is instead of accepting the the bailout right away, they said we are gonna hold a referendum mm. and ask the population. Of course, like the population uh, of a, a certain country in general, is not going to accept something that in the short run uh, is, is very uh, undesirable. Mm. But So like that was like a, a chip in like, that they used. But the second one was, okay, we are going to go to Russia. Why? Because if we go to Russia, we know that the U.S. is going to step in. <laughs> and that's why, and that goes back to like the like the origin of like this conversation. Uh, that's why like the, the the euro crisis became so popular in the U.S. in 2015 because all of a sudden, you know, like these economists decided to go to Russia and say, "We are gonna change the problem. This is no longer a Greek problem. This is no longer a European problem. This is a geostrategical problem." Yeah. Which I mean, that's a it's a brilliant move. It, it 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 in theory, but but yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the answer from uh, uh, Europe? And by Europe, I mean like the core. They were well. We know that you know you just uh, approved by by referendum by popular referendum that you don't want these measures, but you either take it or leave it. Yeah. And not only that, but now they are going to be stronger. So there was like this tension. The prime minister decided we're going to accept that. The like the the finance minister decided I don't think it's a good idea, and he left. So it seems like in theory it was a, like at least like a a very aggressive uh, move. Yeah. But it seems it didn't work out <laughs> because now we, they are in a probably worse position, and they have you know set like a bad precedent. And there, so like they say, like there is only one opportunity, right, to like cause a first impression. Yeah. And like th this political party has already like run out of this option. But I guess uh, this this might be potentially a bad aspect for the U.S. if the the eurozone keeps uh, getting into like further trouble. Well, and if if. <clears throat> Yeah, the the countries within it continue to, uh, you know, when they when when they get into stalemates between themselves, then try to reach outward again, not just to the U.S. but to you know Russia as well, or whoever else to basically referee these 
eurozone internal issues because yeah no we, i mean it's it, it's not inconceivable to see us get dragged into uh well and again not just the u.s but really any any other country get dragged into uh one of these uh disputes in, in an attempt to because of the externalities yeah. in the sense of you know global um i know like um a matter of like safety and mm -hmm. a matter of uh, global risk. If uh, and, and also, I think it's very important, and that's why I said that um, uh, the, the U.S. was very supportive in uh, the uh, in in the like early stages of like the European creation to have an ally that is close to you, mm. because uh, if this doesn't happen and say um, the, some countries decide to have different allies you, Portugal, we were using the example yeah. of Portugal say that the, uh, Portugal is struggling and uh, the, the, the Eurozone is not uh, helping them out then say they go to China and say well we need like this fiscal package and they say well we are gonna give you this fiscal uh, package and as an exchange you like let, let us you know install like a military base here which which would turn the the dynamic of, of military power in europe upside down exactly right. so, so th that that might be like a bad consequence oh, in, yeah. in, in addition to like the devaluation of of the of the euro and i think like this cannot be taken lightly like the the, the valuation aspect is very interesting because actually now it, 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 it's 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 still puzzling like the effect of QE and the the monetary like uh, transmission me mechanisms mm. how like this like this policy is affecting the real you know economy and a lot of people uh, think that this is happening mainly through the exchange rate and if you compare the exchange rate between the eurozone or like sorry the euro and the, the US dollar you will you will see that since the the you know like the US was the, the first in implementing this policy the exchange rate dropped like significantly or oh, what i mean by that sorry is like the the US dollar devaluated a lot mm -hmm. depreciated so uh this this uh like helps the exporters and now that the 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 fact of qe has reversed since it's still in place in the eurozone but here the the, the fact is the opposite now uh interest rates are, are going up we see how the exchange rate or like euro has devaluated relative to the US dollar. Mm -hmm. So it's something that cannot be, you know, taken lightly because part of the recovery can be explained by an increase in net exports. Mm -hmm. And actually some people are using this argument to justify how the UK can be better off by being outside the European Union. If the UK is outside the European Union, the, the, the tariff would increase by 5%. But the pound has already decreased by 15 percent so to analyze the the, the 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 effect of the exchange rate you need to take into account the real exchange rate mm. which incorporates price level and also nominal and price level might increase because of these tariffs but like the nominal exchange rate 
has decreased even farther. So they might be in a better position because of that. So I think that's something that the U.S. cannot, you know, uh, take lightly when assessing whether it's good for them to uh, see like a bad or like a like a struggling uh, European uh, Union and more specifically a Eurozone. Mm. Well, and again, it'll be it'll be something again we get to watch develop as as time goes by and especially as the you know again you know the vote on Brexit was not. The, the final word on it and there's this transitionary period but as that kind of cutoff point approaches you're, I think you're gonna you're, you're right you're gonna see um, some interesting moves develop um, I guess in your uh, you know research on this uh, you have any resources or, or uh, text that uh, you think uh, listeners might uh, benefit from checking out yeah sure so Precisely like the, uh, this uh, finance uh, minister from Greece, mm-hmm. like right after, you know, like uh, quitting his position, he wrote a book and like even like the title is very appealing, appealing uh, for Americans. And like that was his intention to mm-hmm. like extend this problem in such a way that it's no longer a European problem. And it says, and the weak suffer what they must. <laughs> because uh, this goes back to like uh, Greek uh, mythology mm. and then says the title is and the uh, sorry going uh, back again and the weak suffer what they must and the subtitle is Europe's crisis and America's economic future <sighs> because his point is Europeans are really good at creating uh, like a huge mess mm. that you know transcends Europe and you have two wars that are a good example that, that, of that. That are perfect examples of showing how European problems and, become global problems real quick. And they are strongly linked to bad economic situations. Mm. The, the one was like when all the countries abandoned uh, probably the, the gold standard. Mm. And there was like this competition in terms of currency. And the second one... Also, like some like some people point out that the the uh, hyperinflation in Germany facilitated, yeah. you know, like the 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 the, the, the Nazi movement. Mm. So yeah. so that that I I don't think it's as worrisome as it was in that scenario. No, and even the, like he uses similar arguments because you see you know movements from the far right. Like becoming more and more popular within Europe mm. because of that, like the the middle class and and those who who are not part of the elite are suffering a lot, and popular you know like or popularist like uh, movements like gain power because of this situation. Mm. That's one of the the books if, if someone wants to check out. But there are like, two other books that are really good. One is the Euro and the Battle of Ideas. It, it's very interesting because it's written by three people. Hmm. One, uh, a German, a French, and a British. So you, you, like what um, this book is, is, is in, intending to, to convey is the fact that this goes beyond economics, although it's really good in assessing the, the problems that trigger the, the Euro crisis. But... The, the main takeaway is that this 
has to do with different mindsets. And essentially the conflict between the French approach and the German approach. Mm. And unless, and that's why I refer to political, political integration, unless there is political integration, uh, a fiscal union to some extent, trying to avoid uh, like the, the problem of moral hazard and a more active uh, European Central Bank, this is going to persist or even uh, worsen over time. Mm. So that book is very interesting because it's not biased uh, towards a particular you know, country. And you even have like a British who's supposed to have this neutral perspective. And finally, there is this other book that just came out, which is The Euro, How a Common Currency Threatens the Future of Europe mm. by the novel uh, Prize Laureate Joseph uh, Stiglitz. Mm. I think it's very interesting because, uh, I mean, he's a really talented economist. Oh, yeah, and, uh, and he's really also uh, good at uh, making complex things uh, th uh, seem like uh, easy to understand. Mm. So... I think that that's a really uh, interesting book to also read in mm. case that you're interested and it gives you the American perspective. Yeah. His perspective is very pessimistic, by the way, which uh, is, is not unrealistic, though. Pessimism well, sometimes uh, can be realism. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks a lot for coming yeah, on. My pleasure. And, uh, uh, yeah, appreciate uh, having your expertise on this. Um, to uh, the listeners out there, if you like what you're listening to, uh, please be sure to uh, rate us on uh, iTunes. Uh, still don't have, at least as of uh, recording this, I don't have enough ratings for them to warrant giving me an average. So it's just a blank space. So uh, get out there. Uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, there's a, uh, we've got, uh, got a group up there uh, for, okay, let me tell you why you're wrong. And uh, I am not uh, the biggest fan of Twitter in the world, but if I get, uh, let's say, 50 five-star ratings on iTunes, I will open a Twitter account. Uh, if, uh, if we get up to 75, I'll open an Instagram account. And here's the deal. If we, if, if, uh, we get a, uh, if, uh, the minute we top over 100 five-star ratings on iTunes, uh, I will uh, open up an okay, let me tell you why you're wrong, Tinder account. <laughs> so if you really like the show, you can swipe right on us there. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, this has been okay. Let me tell you why you're wrong.